I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Ready! All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. This is your NFL Super Wild Card Weekend recap. I'm Brendan Glasheen, joined by Brandon Anderson tonight. No Jill Gallant. Jill has worked very hard this weekend over in the new Action Network studio, and he's making his way back to his his home in front of his bright, bright screen where he does all of his great recordings. Jill had a nice weekend on the touchdown show. We'll get that shout out out there for him and we'll discuss some of the guys who scored as we go through all six games from the weekend, the two Saturday, three on Sunday. And then of course, tonight Cowboys Buccaneers, that one just wrapped up. Brandon, let's not waste any time. We'll dive right in. Dallas beats Tampa 31, 14. They cover the two and a half, the three open three, Two and a half most of the week. Then you saw a three earlier today, and then it went back to two and a half. So some late money coming in on the Bucks. Uh, but Dallas gets there. And this was the this was the team I think we saw most mostly early in the season. Defensively, Micah Parsons was a force, and Dak Prescott turned in one of his best performances of his career. Yeah, Dak had a huge game, looked very comfortable out there. I think for me, more importantly, this was the Bucs team that we watched all season. And <laughs> I, look, I I don't know. We we all three of us on the best best episode took the Bucks. Let's just own it up front. It I, I personally for me, I won't speak for the guys. My worst three of the season. I don't know how I did this. I, how did I dump on Tom Brady and the Bucks all season long and get to the playoffs and then flip to the other side? I I, I am disgusted with the pick. And look, early on, Cowboys get the touchdown. And it looked like the Bucs were going to respond. They got down there. They get right down inside the five. And then Tom Brady does the thing Tom Brady never does. They do a play action and just like, just throw a bullet out the back of the end zone, right? Just throw it away. Nobody's open. I don't, I don't, what did he do? He like lofted the ball halfway into the end zone, not even really toward a target. I think they said on the broadcast, first interception he's thrown in the red zone in his Tampa Bay career, something like first and 400 passing attempts. And I got to say at that point, I, I was like, oh, we're, we're in big trouble here. If, if you get that play from Tom Brady, I don't know if you're coming back. And they, they didn't come back after that. No, they did not. Now, you still say to yourself, well, remember the Monday night game against the Saints, the, the Sunday afternoon comeback against the Rams. There have been spots this year where Brady's led his team when they've done absolutely nothing. But yes, the ball was moving for Tampa in response there. And yes, the last time Brady threw an interception in the red zone was in 2019 
with New England. One of the angles, too, from a betting perspective, the the over 45 and a half doesn't hit, which it most of the game you're probably thinking is an over better. Yep, of course, of the six this weekend, five overs, this one's going to go under, and there was a chance there at the end, but the Bucs uh, found it too late. Uh, what'd you make, though, of Dak more specifically in that offense, the way they just, he was slicing and dicing. I, I was concerned about Tampa's lack of adjustments defensively. Todd Bowles, I thought you were a defensive mind. Yeah, look, Tom Brady, we, we've done all the Tom Brady stuff. Brady has all the career. Like, I, I want to make all the jokes. We've done the Tebow thing on here. I know you, you scoff at it. I, I've got all my Tom jokes here. Honestly, the defense was more of a joke tonight. Tampa's defense just didn't show. And that was, for me, that was the read was, okay, the defense is healthy. The guys are back. Tampa's healthy defense has been so good. And they just... This entire team kind of looked like, I don't know, like Tom gave a speech before the game. and was like, all right, guys, so anyway, I'm done in Tampa, and uh, let's all go have a game. And they all kind of looked like they they did the old one, two, three Cancun before the game and just <laughs> never really showed up tonight. Like, I, honestly, I didn't really feel like Dallas was doing anything that special. They just kind of kept hitting the tight ends. And look, Ezekiel Elliott ran 13 times for 27 yards. That was part of my cap. Dallas is way too run heavy. The run game wasn't that great. Pollard hit a couple, but mostly that that was happening there as well. And uh, yeah, I, at Dallas's offense, I think is going to come off looking a little overrated here against just a defense that was pretty listless performance by Tampa. But you know, you, you can't complain. Dallas did what they had to, and they were efficient in the red zone, four for four, getting in. I think that helped the score flatter them a little bit by the end of the game, but then they gave up some of the garbage touchdowns. By the way, I think you undersold the over miss for betters here. Our our man, Brett Maher, missed four extra points. Four. Have you ever seen someone miss four extra points before? I uh, live in Chicago. I don't watch the Bears all the time, of course. Cody Parkey hit the upright four times for the Bears in the same game. So this is about this. Is it more impressive to miss four or to hit the four uprights? I, I I don't know, but miss four uprights, or four extra points. All we needed was one, one for the over, and then insult to injury. The Bucks get that late touchdown. The game is like a million to three at this point. Just kick the extra point and get out of here. And then of course they go for two and don't get that either. So pretty brutal if you had the over on this one. Not much else to pick apart. This was a snoozer. And then, of course, Tampa converts. Joe Buck said it only the fourth onside kick that was successful this season at the end of the game. And even still, uh, there was a ball that went through Mike Evans' hands down the right sideline that still could have helped over betters. And Maher did end up making an extra point in this game. But Dak had 305 passing, the four touchdowns, um, one rushing touchdown. Felt too like you know you mentioned all those things about Tampa's defense being healthy. They were just, they were on the field a ton. They, they they were probably tired. Yeah, I think so. Though Tampa ran, I believe, eighty plays themselves. Tom Brady through his age and passing attempts, he had sixty six passes tonight. We hit the over on that one at least. That was two off the all time playoff record. But look, Tom is what 45, 46 years old. You don't want this guy going out throwing sixty six passes. You don't want anybody throwing sixty six passes. I pulled up at football reference to look for the record. And I believe 18 of the top 21 most passing attempts in a playoff game are in losses. 
duh, because you're throwing the ball so much because you're behind all game. So just before we hit record and came on, Brendan, we listened to a little bit of Tom Brady's post-game uh, comments tonight. You're our Tom Brady guy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you comment here. Is this it for Tom and Tampa, or where do the Bucks go from here? Certainly sounded like it the way he spoke to the press and thanked the press for their coverage, mentioned your job's not very easy. We appreciate the hard work. Thank you to the regulars. So it felt very specific to the room since it was indeed a Tampa home game. So he that was the last thing he said. It was not the first thing he said. It was the last thing he said before he left the podium tonight. San Francisco, Seattle kicked off the weekend on Saturday. Niners were laying nine and a half, ten points. There were some nines out there, but this game was back and forth really between 10 and nine and a half. Felt like it mattered early in the game. Seattle hung in there. Geno Smith, number one in completion percentage in the regular season, has some rapport with DK Metcalf. Kenneth Walker was running the ball well, and you wondered, oh, maybe there's some actual pressure here on the quarterback, Brock Purdy. And I think through some of our recap episodes in December, having some of those more tightly contested games, the Raiders game comes to mind, proved to be beneficial for Purdy. The seventh round pick comes out and has another great game, but in real game situations where he had to make plays and the Niners ended up smoking the the, the Seahawks, 41-23, they cover the spread. What jumped out to you here in this game? Yeah, I think what jumped out for me is Seattle played near perfect football for 42 minutes. They had no sacks, they had no turnovers, They had no penalties. They had big plays. DK Metcalf owned in this game, and they were behind 23-17 after all of that. And then you may recall the the perfect football ended right about the moment when Debo Samuel was down, and I forget who it was, kind of like twisted the knee. They didn't get a penalty for it, but just after that, they picked up a penalty. They were in the red zone. Geno got the patented Geno strip sack, holding the ball too long like he's done all year. And then suddenly barrage of penalties and interception and the back half of the game was basically every 49ers game we watched the last two months so uh, if you're seattle i don't need to be too upset about this like you had a great year you played a pretty good game much better than they played them the first two times around and you bring back gino you got the number five pick maybe gino mentors a young quarterback there you build on a young roster i think for seattle island this is about the best season finale you can hope for here the Niners is just too good they are 10.3 yards after the catch per catch in this game which is the third highest in a playoff game in the last decade that's Debo that's Christian McCaffrey we didn't really get much from George Kittle in this game they just didn't need it they just rolled they have so many weapons that the my one takeaway that's a little bit of hesitant here you noted Brock Purdy had another big game by stats, he did. 332 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 11 yards per attempt. From the eye test, I don't feel great about him, early on especially. I felt like he was making some questionable decisions, thought he held the ball a little much, got some Patrick Mahomes syndrome. He's kind of scrambled a little too much, running around, trying to do the Brett Favre thing and make up some plays. Hmm. The whole point of all the San Francisco offense and all the weapons is to not do that, right? We don't need you to be Brett Favre. Just get the ball out to our other guys, Brock Purdy. That worries me a little bit as we get to some real defenses now, which Seattle was not. 
and the defense they'll play next, which will break down more depth. But if Dallas is going to play like that defensively, it could be the toughest test he's had to face this season in terms of that front and what kind of pressure they can uh, put on. We still need to kind of see Brock Purdy, what he looks like these next couple of games against Dallas and then presumably Philadelphia, some real tests coming up that he hasn't faced yet. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Chargers-Jags was the game after that Saturday night. And what a freaking game. What a comeback that was. Or or was it a, more of a meltdown, like if we're being honest? 31-30 Jags, you know by now they covered two and a half. They win outright. If you jumped in on the Jaguars live, <laughs> good for you. The end of the third, early fourth, earlier in the game when it was still a four-score, three-score game, good for you. The Jags make the comeback down 27 to nothing. But for the Chargers, I, I just to kind of recap it from start to finish, I no Mike Williams. Turns out Brandon Staley was pushing all the right buttons. They they look like a force, and they made Trevor Lawrence look horrible. Yeah, it was, it was a tale of two halves plus one drive, right? Because the, the Jaguars did get the touchdown right before halftime. But before that, Lawrence comes out, first pass of his playoff career, interception. He never thrown a first quarter interception. He throws three, three first quarter interceptions. At this point, I think all of us are like, all right, hit the fast forward button, like simulate to end. I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't even fun to watch. It's the, it's the Jaguars meltdown. It's the young team. Okay. It happened. We got uh, after the fourth interception three by Asante Samuel jr. We got a punt bouncing off of a dude's helmet coming inside the 10. And then that was kind of the key because I think it was 24 nothing when that happened. Chargers get the ball on the six. And like they had done other times this game, they didn't punch it in. They get the field goal, right, settled right. for two field goals inside the 10, 27 nothing. And up until that point, here's Trevor Lawrence's numbers. Five of 18, 35 yards, so under two yards a pass, four interceptions, 29% completion rate. Then they get a little rhythm on that next drive. They punch it in for the touchdown, 27-7, and suddenly you're like, you know what? 20 points is not so bad considering that half of football, right? Here's Lawrence's stats after that uh, that settling for field goal. 23 of 29, 253 yards, 8.7 yards attempt, 79% completion rate. Instead of four interceptions, four touchdowns. So he went from negative uh, negative 1.33 EPA per play, which is like ungodly, ghastly, unheard of low, to 0.75 EPA per play, which is basically what Dak Prescott was tonight for reference. So you can't have a more night and day performance than that. Yeah, my early notes were Brandon Staley masterclass. Like he had Lawrence fooled. Lawrence is throwing it to straight to Chargers defenders. He's moving guys around before the snap. And then it just suddenly flipped. So 
Yeah, you kind of alluded to this. What's your opinion? Comeback or collapse? Collapse. Collapse. That wasn't an all-time great team. I think the quarterback proved in Trevor Lawrence that he is the real deal. And they've got some real chemistry there between he and, and Doug Peterson. But let's not fool ourselves here. Uh, this this Chargers defense. Now, could were they as healthy as possible? No, because of what we had discussed leading into the game about how they managed that Denver game. But all in all, I would I would have I, I consider more of a, of a collapse. I mean, that's a there's really no excuse there. I thought that in their as much as we want to make it about. Uh, I don't put a lot of blame of it, Brandon, on the offense because they. I think they did their did their do. They scored thirty points in the game, but defensively, Brandon Staley, that's his side of the ball, and yep. they completely fell apart in coverage and in all of it. Yeah, well, I made note of that too. That here are times where the Chargers could have just made just one stop, one time, and I think yep. that the game is just over before the half. As the Jags are driving, all you got to do is just just keep them out of the end zone, right? Just keep it in front of you instead of giving up a touchdown with, I think, like 25 seconds left. There's one chance. And then the, in the second half, we got third and goal from the six. Jaguars get a touchdown. That's another chance. We got the two-point conversion, the one where Joey Bosa had the penalty. They get it down the one. Lawrence just, like, reaches the ball out like the Space Jam Michael Jordan, right? There's another one. Stop that one. You're good. Then, of course, we have the fourth and one play that they get all up on the line, Doug Peterson sees something, calls Tam out. They switch. They give it to Etienne with so much speed, gets around the edge. Again, one stop. Any one of those, heck, the final field goal almost missed. Nobody really talked about it. They nearly missed that field goal. That would have done the trick too. So, yeah, the defense has to make the plays there. I think one thing that got overlooked in a lot of the analysis that I've seen the Chargers really got some cluster injuries. Like you mentioned the Mike Williams injury, but DeAndre Carter went out and suddenly they're like out of receivers in this game. Yeah, The backup left tackle went out and they're already short Rayshon Slater. So it doesn't help that the offense can't stay on the field because then they're just going three and out and giving the ball back. And here comes Trevor Lawrence again. So that's, that's nobody's fault. Well, it's maybe Staley's fault a little bit because you know, Mike Williams, but yeah, so so the Staley thing. First team ever to lose with a plus five turnover differential. Only the second team, even with a plus four turnover differential, to do so. I've dumped on the offensive coordinator. He he, please God, he has to be gone. What do you do with Brandon Staley? It is in my notes, my answer says fire Staley into the sun. Do we think that Staley is gone? Do we think he's around? Where do we go from here with the Chargers? Oh boy. I mean, it's no longer a hot take if you say move on from Staley. Um, look, Sean Payton's out there, man. And Sean Payton delegates. Sean Payton's won at the highest level. He's won a Super Bowl. You better hurry, too, because he's taking interviews this week. Sean Payton was vocal about that on this Monday that he is he's interviewing. So if you miss your chance, that might be someone who, and, and Payton will, no question, take a look at it. He lives in Los Angeles. He would get the quarterback in Justin Herbert. That's all taken care of. Has plenty of skill guys to work with. And he has the track record of delegating properly. So I think if there's a better option out there, which to me, Sean Payton is, you make the move. Is it, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I just don't understand how they could move on and, and be feel okay about how that all transpired. 
Yeah, I, considering I, I'm with you. we I can't get week 18 last year against the Raiders out of my head going um, forward at their own 30. It just doesn't feel like he has an identity as a coach. Yeah, it's really it's really not the way you want to leave things hanging heading to your offseason two years in a row, right? This is not how you want to end things. I think this if we see that Staley has been let go, if they've mutually parted ways or whatever they decide to come up with, I think that will happen if and only if Sean Payton is done. If they know that he's coming already, then I think we get the news. Otherwise, I don't think it happens, and they just keep riding with them. But hopefully with the new offensive coordinator and a few new ideas. Justin Herbert has been in this league now for just a couple of years, but now his second half ATS record, ATS record is now 14, 31, and 4. He went 5, 10, and 2 in the second half against the spread this year. Poor guy. Really hard to nitpick what the quarterback did in this game. But yeah, that's uh, that was an epic finish, and it gave us a lot to talk about and some really hot takes before we went to bed, leading into Sunday's games, Miami and Buffalo. Well, this one, I think, was the shocker in terms of, was it going to be all that close? At least with Seattle and, and San Francisco, you could paint the picture, pave the path to think, okay, maybe Seattle hangs around. Understandable. <laughs> Buffalo goes up 14 nothing in the first quarter. And you're thinking, okay, that's a wrap. This one is, this one's over. And then the concerns about the Bills and their erratic style of play, those habits became noticeable and came to fruition. That allowed Skylar Thompson and the Miami Dolphins to hang around. Bills win 34-31. Dolphins cover the giant 13.5-point spread. I can't help but come out of this game, Brandon. And I know, again, we're going to look ahead. We're going to do a, a hot read breakdown of all four games next week. But I look at this and go, yeah, Buffalo's really damn good and explosive. And they're great when they are at their their best. They're the best team in the league, probably. Right up there, at least with San Francisco. But I would take the quarterback, of course, in Buffalo. But I've got, I can't help but come out of there and go, oh, the Bills, they just, they don't know how to, like, put a team away. Yeah, I mean, I, I... – I think this is the Josh Allen show, right? Yeah. I think this is just what we're going to get with Josh Allen. It is the highest of highs. When he is doing the Josh Allen things, they can beat anybody because the defense can be great. The special teams is good. The coaching is good. And when Josh does good stuff, man, can they just score instantly? But then look, in this game, he had two interceptions. He lost a fumble a strip sack on the first Bills play of the second half that led to a touchdown and a Miami lead. And suddenly it's like, oh man, they might actually lose. He got sacked seven times. Sacks are a quarterback stat. Got to get the ball away, throw it out of bounds, move on to the next play. Josh Allen doesn't do that. Josh Allen is Superman and tries to do everything. And the thing is he can, and he usually does mm -hmm. like, this is going to come off slanderous, and I already hear it. We know I'm the Carson Wentz guy, right? Carson Wentz, the thing he does is he tries to do everything, and he holds the ball way too long, and he eats sacks, and he takes interceptions, and then he gets hurt too because he's getting sacked so much. Josh Allen does those things. It's just that he's so good that he makes plays anyway. Josh Allen's EPA per play under pressure is like 0 0.1, and by comparison, the next highest guy in the league is negative. Like, just throw the ball away and move on to the next play. But Josh Allen still wants to do positive things and usually does. 
you're just going to get the roller coaster. He had a 16.0 A dot in this game. He was chucking all over the field in a game where you're facing Skylar Thompson. Just mm. take care of business and get out of here. I mean, look, here's the numbers from the game. If you just skip the game, yeah, it was a blowout. We don't need to worry about it. Bills, Dolphins, easy go here. Dolphins were four of 16 on third down. That's terrible. The Dolphins averaged 3.3 yards of play, 231 yards, almost 200 yards less than the Bills. That should be a blowout. You should win that game by 20 in the playoffs against a third-string quarterback. On the one hand, you did win. You won the game. You moved on, survived in advance. If you make 10 mistakes, literally 10, seven sacks, two picks and a fumble, 10 mistakes by your quarterback, a strip sack touchdown, and then you still win, that's good. Buffalo needs to just three more, three more wins and you're champions. You know, the, the Chargers are out. <laughs> Some teams can't make those mistakes. So that's good. But man, I uh, I don't think we want to be getting seven sacks and, and three turnovers against the Bengals. Not against the Chiefs, not in the Super Bowl. So, it, yeah. yeah. Can the Josh Allen experience win the Super Bowl this way? Like, this is Josh Allen, to me, in this game showed why he is, right now, the most valuable player in the NFL, but not in a good way. He's right. too valuable. He's everything, and you get all of it. Right. They feel very Josh Allen reliant. I thought James Cook broke some nice runs in this game. Um, but to, to your point, like, this is why you, you should be nervous about being a Buffalo futures better because this is what might come out of this, right. Is folks might think, Oh, Buffalo, they just kind of overlooked Skylar. No, I don't think they overlooked Skylar Thompson at all. It's just, it's their style of play that bites them. You don't, I mean, I don't want to dive too much into the narrative or know what it feels like to be inside the helmet, inside the locker room, but I think these guys are out there playing, especially Buffalo, inspired uh, than ever with the Hamlin story. And they're out there giving it their all. I don't think they're overlooking anything. Um, it's just their style of play. And they they get into situations where they think they're just too big for themselves. They beat, they're beat. they the classic case of beating themselves. And I don't know if Sean McDermott knows how to get that out of him or if almost McDermott is leaning too much into it and he doesn't know how to pull it back. Um, so the, the bills, it feels like they're running, they're outrunning themselves at this stage. So we'll find out how we feel about that when we get to the, the game, when they play the Bengals giants and your Vikings giants win 31, 24, they went outright as three point underdogs. This one, I, I, I thought about you a lot. Cause I'm like, well, Brandon's onto it, man. Take six and a half giants plus six and a half on one side of the game. I'm going to take the giants on the other side, plus six and a half, just have a one score finish. That parlay over on FanDuel was uh, at plus 133 odds. And I'm thinking, this is, a, this is a really good idea. I like this idea by Brandon. I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. The, the Giants won by seven, not six. And the Vikings didn't win, period. Daniel Jones. I mean, I'm sensing a theme here in the NFC East. These quarterbacks finally had some of their best games ever, their best playoff games ever. And Daniel Jones was dynamite with his legs in the first half adjustments made by the Vikings, but Daniel Jones 
It's like he knew that was coming, meaning, okay, I'm not going to be able to run the way I did for 70 plus yards in the first half. I'm going to sit back, take the, take the accurate or take the, uh, the easy throw underneath or just hit my guys on the slant route. And we move from there. Saquon's a weapon, no name receivers catching passes for the giants. This, this felt like the giants 10 years ago. It, it, yeah, it did. You summed it up. Well, this one's Thank hard you. for me to talk about. I, this, this was pain for me. Like you mentioned the, the six and a half point thing, either direction that we missed by half point. I had giants to win by one to six. We missed that by one point. And then of course, after all that, I can't even get my stupid team to win or even push it to overtime. Just pain as a better pain as a fan uh, defense optional in this game. Like uh, we're going to be excited about all the offensive things the giants did. And we should, they were really good, but their defense wasn't really doing a whole lot either. Uh, everyone's going to talk and already has been talking about the Kirk cousins throw at the end. Yep. We need to do it. Kirk Cousins was fantastic the rest of the game. Kirk Cousins made great throws all game. He is absolutely not the reason the Vikings lost this game. Kirk does not play defense, and neither did the rest of the Vikings. And I thought more than anything else, this was a coaching win. I thought Brian Dable and Wayne Martindale won this game for the Giants. They had Danny Dimes running out 17 times for 78 yards. That was by design. They knew that was something that would be available to them. They took it. They schemed up receivers no one's ever heard of a few months ago, right. wide open all game long. In Minnesota, their defensive adjustments, nothing. Their the Offensively, was really disappointing. Justin Jefferson, four catches for 31 yards on the first drive, three catches the whole game after that for 16 yards. They totally took him away. Hawkinson was open all game. We at least got that over. Hopefully you got that one in there. But the Vikings, they ran too much on first down. All my Vikings fan friends are texting me like, oh my gosh, please stop running on first down. The Giants are the worst defense in the league by DVOA on first down. And the Vikings just kept being like, ah, that's fine. We don't need a first down. How about second and eight? Let's try that now, right? It's, it was maddening. Dexter Lawrence has to be mentioned here. I thought he was the best player on the field for the Giants. Just absolutely dominated on the line, dominated that last play that the Kirk Cousins throw and the Giants on third down were great too. Daniel Jones was fantastic in this game. So yeah, the Vikings season is done. We did technically get another one score game here. The bet didn't hit, but we did get another Vikings Giants one score game. If you're a neutral, it was fun, right? It was fun to watch. I didn't have a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad it's over. Don't, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, right? That's just, that's every Viking season for me. So here we are. In our best bets episode leading into the weekend, Luke Swain said of the Minnesota Vikings, they are good fantasy football players, mm -hmm. but they're not good at football. And I thought his analysis was actually good in a way. You get the flash with Cousins, the year he had on offense, Justin Jefferson. And to your point, that wasn't really on them. It was just folks get so sucked into that that they don't look at the whole operation and defensively as we came to find out with a minus three point differential the vikings just weren't all that good all right let's wrap quickly with baltimore cincinnati i know this game was full of big moments also the 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 crazy touchdown the defensive score after huntley reaches over i'm watching it in real time i'm thinking oh my goodness he may have been in 
He wasn't even close. Tyler Huntley wasn't even close of being into the end zone. Sam Hubbard, Cincinnati kid, Mike Tirico, excellent call. Was a play-by-play guy. I was like, wow, Tirico crushed it. Uh, Great play. Runs it back the other way for a touchdown. Changed the whole game. Um, John Harbaugh, from a gambling perspective, John Harbaugh, the trend of divisional unders in these spots, the the underdog or uh, underdogs, not unders, divisional underdogs, for Harbaugh had not trended well in any in any situation, regular season or playoffs against the AFC North. He's had his struggles covering against the number. Now, to be fair, the Ravens are typically a good team, so he's probably been a favorite in a lot of these cases. They were dogs, and the Ravens covered plus eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, whatever you got. 24-17, your final. Do you come out of this? Now, I know we talked now Bengals will play the Bills and we'll get into that, but do you, do you leave this game thinking, okay, good win, Bengals. You, you did it, but. Uh, yeah, no, this, this was not a good win. This, this was the Bengals should have lost. The Bengals straight up should have lost this game. Joe Burrow, 209 yards. They did not run the ball well. They only had 234 yards as a team. They gave up yeah. 364 yards to Tyler Huntley and the gang. That's not great. The the game the entire game was literally the game script the Ravens would have drawn up right up until that play that you talked about. Everything was Ravens football until Tyler Huntley decided to Rafiki stretch Simba over the goal line and just go back the other direction. The win probability models basically said like fifty percent win probability swing on that play. Ravens are going to go up twenty four seventeen if they get the touchdown there. And City go down 24-17. It is a 14-point swing in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. You literally can't get a bigger win probability swing than that. And that's it. That's the season. So for the Bengals, I, I you can't feel great about it. Again, survive in advance. And look, they had some ugly wins last year in the playoffs. So maybe that's a thing. Maybe they are finding ways to move on. My takeaway for Cincinnati is I'm worried about the line. Jonah Williams, left tackle, left hurt in this game. That is the third game in a row for them that they have lost a starter on the line now. Got Alex Kappa, the right guard. He may or may not play. Williams may or may not play. Lyle Collins, the right tackle, we know is out. The whole thing with Cincinnati last year in the playoffs was terrible line. We got to get it fixed. These are the fixes, and that is a big problem going forward. Eli Apple at corner was in and out. They're already missing a woozie. Cluster injuries are the underrated injury thing. We we always focus on the one guy, the star that gets hurt. Cluster injuries at the same position are big problem. And uh, we'll get to the hot read I know in a second. I grabbed Buffalo minus three and a half right when it first came out uh, on Sunday evening, just because if those guys are out, then that is a big, big problem for Cincinnati against Buffalo and against anyone going forward. I tend to agree. We've seen the number bounce to five and a half in some places. It's a four and a half now on FanDuel. We'll dive in now to the divisional hot read. Four games, two Saturday, two Sunday. The lineup is this. In case you didn't know, Jags Chiefs is the first game at 430 Saturday. Chiefs are laying eight and a half totals, 51 and a half giants, Eagles, seven and a half Eagles favorite, of course, over under at 48 and a half Sunday at three Bengals bills as mentioned, four and a half totals at 50 and a half Cowboys Niners totals up to now 46 and the Niners are four point favorites. Your favorite of the four happens to be the first one. 
It does. And it's because I, I dug into some of the trends. I've got a piece up at the Action Network now, divisional round trends. So if you're like me, you look at these games, and here we have the four best teams in football. They're the home teams, right? We got the Eagles and the Niners. We got the Bills. We got the Chiefs, two of them off a of bye. Most years until the last couple of years, all of them off a of bye, right? They'd all just have been resting. Right. And so all of your instincts screams, all right, Eagles roll, Chiefs roll. These are easy. We know who's good. They're just going to take care of business. And all the numbers in Bat Labs tell us that the exact opposite is what happens. Here are a couple numbers for you. Road underdogs in the divisional round since 2003, which is what our system covers. Road underdogs are 42-33-1 against the spread in this round. 56% cover rate. Just playing every road underdog gets you there. Road underdog money lines, 21% ROI. Just playing blindly every single road underdog. It gets worse. One seeds, just the one seed in the divisional round. So still off of the bye. 13, 25, and 1 against the spread. 34% cover rate. One seeds that are favored by 10 or less, which both one seeds are this year. 8, 24, and 1 against the spread. 25% cover rate. It's bad. The numbers are very bad. And the trends basically say, holy cow, be careful with every single one of the four home teams this round. Right now, I think the Jaguars plus eight and a half in Kansas City. I can't believe it. My hot read last week was fading the Jaguars, but it's a matchup league. I like the matchup for Jacksonville here. What we know about them is two things. Number one, the defense has been improving and the pass rush is really, really good, right? Kansas City's offense is awesome, but the one bugaboo that they have had sometimes is that line. They still struggle with pass uh, with pass blocking a little bit. And so if the Jaguars can get home a little bit, just enough maybe to cause a, a turnover, maybe to cause a couple of punts or something, and still Mahomes, they're going to score but just get home enough. And the Chiefs defense really is pretty untested this season. Hasn't been that great. I think the Chiefs defense against this red hot Trevor Lawrence offense, their passing is very good. In a lot of ways, the Jaguars are kind of a mini version of the Chiefs, right? Lawrence is not Mahomes. The defense is like, it's not the same, but they're kind of the same. We just want to pass on you and rush our pass, or rush our pass rush and try to get home. And I hate to say it, but in the playoffs, maybe Doug Peterson over Andy Reid? Like, is is that crazy? I know Andy is a Hall of Famer and has got his ring and everything, but Doug Peterson is 6-0 and against the spread as an underdog in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I think he has a good chance to get another cover here. He's 5-1 and outright in those games as an underdog. Pat mm-hmm. Mahomes, we know, as a favorite over a touchdown, always, not, always a good spot to fade there. I like the Jaguars here. Am I crazy on this one? Uh, I have two thoughts on this. A, from a gambling perspective, knowing that the public money might come in on the Chiefs, do you wait? Like, Why why take the eight and a half now? Or do you fear that it could drop to seven yeah. and a half? No, that, that's fair. This is probably not a hot read per se in that I have not put in my bet on this one yet. I did my analysis today. This is almost certainly the side I will be on, but you're right. I think that there is a very good chance at the very least for teaser protection. I think we get to nine, nine and a half. We probably get to 10. So I think we, you probably don't need to rush and grab this one 
and you might get a better line later on. Um, yeah, so that's a good point. Not a traditional hot read here. But for now, if I was going to make a bet right now on the board, I think this is probably the one that I'd be looking at. Okay, my second thought would be when they've played the Jaguars, they've played a good team. Even the Chargers game, they get behind to yeah. good teams quickly. Dallas, 14 nothing, right out of the shoot, if I remember correctly. Unless they... Yes, Dallas had a big lead in that game, 21-7 at one point. Baltimore, remember the Baltimore game? They had that game. <laughs> just well, that was the Ravens once again blowing a second half, which that became a theme for them. But Jags contributed to that and had to make a pull something out of their out of their keisters and make a comeback there. The Chiefs game, they lost by 10. They met in the regular season. Kansas City got out to an early lead. I'm concerned. Um you're looking at a backdoor situation here, Brandon. That's what you're really you're hoping for here, probably. If I had to guess, yeah, I mean, I think that that's very much in play. But look, the the trends in history say Jackson will be live to actually win this game outright. Then I, I will probably end up if I bet this. When I bet this, I will probably end up playing some of the money line too. So I, I think this looks like an over to me. I've got some trends for that that we'll come back to that later in the week, probably on. But I think there's gonna be a lot of points here. In a game where the scoring is going to be in the 50s or 60s, maybe mm -hmm. touchdown, touchdown, back and forth, touchdown. Like there's always another score waiting. And when the score is that high, one bad drive, one miscue, one play the other way, a broken tackle, a long bomb. That I think the door could be open and it might not just be the back door here. I don't know. Pat Mahomes is always, always in the FC Championship game. I certainly this morning did not expect this is the play I'd be looking at. But as I dug into the early research, this is the one that jumped out for me. Uh, one other trend for you on this one, money line underdogs in this round, divisional round, the sweet spot is seven points to 11 points. If you only play underdogs that are seven to 11 point underdogs, those teams are 12 and 21 straight up. Doesn't sound great, but 61% ROI on those. If you play them, and we've got one here. We've got another one in the evening game on Saturday. Giants, Eagles, Phillies laying seven and a half. Uh, look, we're going to be talking about these games all week, everybody, on the on the podcast and also on our other content with Action Network. So be sure to stay tuned. Let's just get a couple thoughts here on this game, and we'll get, we'll get to Sunday. Yeah, I'll keep this one very easy because I don't have a decision on this yet. All the things I just said, all the trends that back the Jaguars for the Chiefs, back the Giants even more against the Eagles. All the trends, all the, the road underdog, fade the one seed. On top of it, you have a divisional thing here. Teams that missed the playoffs last year, that fits Giants and Jaguars. Those are both good trends. On my trends piece, literally every one of the trends says, oh no, danger Philadelphia Eagles. On the other hand, holy cow, do I love this matchup for the Eagles. They have the best running in the league, uh, rushing in the league against the worst DVOA run defense. They have the best pressure rate in the league against a terrible pass blocking offense. This feels like the 48-22 game that these teams played a couple months ago. Right. But those trends are way opposite in my favor. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I don't know if I've had a game all year where I felt so clear on one side of the matchup and so awful on the trends on the other side. I, I, well, I have to come back to this one. But uh, I, if your trends better, bet the Giants. If your matchup's better, bet the Eagles. That's my yeah. advice. 
Yeah, if you want to just dumb this one down, if, if you liked the Giants to beat the Vikings, well, remember why you did so, because you had no faith in the Vikings. And then yes. don't just let your brain get twisted into a pretzel to think, well, look how they looked against the Vikings. Well, wait a minute. I thought you faded the Vikings, really. That's why you took the Giants. In most cases, I would like to think. But I know you got to play numbers, too, not just the uh, the matchup on paper between the two teams. But, yes, I think from a matchup standpoint – uh, but yeah, the, the, the number is the key there. Okay. Sunday, you alluded to this briefly, the bills hosting the Bengals. hard to not look at the Bengals injuries on their defense. And we've talked about their offensive line extensively. Yeah. I think you got to really, you don't want to bet this one right now. Cause the number is in the, the no fly zone minus five, five and a half. It's not going to stay there. We're going to go up a point or down a point. You got to wait and see where these injuries line up. Another mm-hmm. injury we didn't mention uh, Micah Hyde for the Bills might come back. He's been practicing a little bit. That would be especially big in this game because he's so important to their passing defense against Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, all these guys. So you got to wait and see where the injuries come up on this one. I, the one thing I'm most confident in in this game is I think the Bills score. I think the Bills are going to get their points. So I would maybe take a Bills team total over 27 and a half right now if I had to play one. I took the Bills minus three and a half already. I feel good about it, but I'm not rushing out to grab the five right now because you got to wait and see where the line moves. The whole point of grabbing the three and a half was to get it before the line kind of jump back up with some of the injury fears. So I, I think, too, as betters, we need to be cognizant of, look, we just had this game, right, like three weeks ago, and then we didn't have the game. And if I know that and you know that, the players know that, and I don't know what you're thinking when you go out to take the field for this game, either one of these teams you got to have a lot of emotions coming back from that game that was not long ago here. So I think for me, I'm probably going to tiptoe in on this one and probably not go too heavily. The other thing too, is I probably will like the bills here. Like I have them already, but they're yep. a pretty slow starting team. So I think you can maybe wait. This feels like a back and forth, back and forth game, kind of like bills chiefs last year. So I think if you like the bills, you not only should wait right now, you maybe just wait and, and go live because maybe the Bengals get an opening touchdown and you might just end up getting like a, you know, an even odds money line or something like that along the way. Yeah. The uh, I, I'm going into the Chris Raybon bag of tricks. The Buffalo first half team total is at 13 and a half. That's ju- the juice is on the, uh, the, the over like there M- minus minus one thirty six. And when Raybon got it, I think he got it at 14 when we did it during the week last week, but it shot the odds shot up to like minus one fifty. So that might be worth a look too. You get right below the key number 14, two touchdowns and they scored 14. Now I know uh, Miami, I thought Miami did some good things defensively, but they brought it to the dolphins rather quickly uh, in that ball game. But if you think the back and forth kind of style, but you bring up a good point, the human element here of just the, the nostalgia of playing that same team again. It's not in Cincinnati, as we know, it's in Buffalo, but yeah. those thoughts come up. Is it a slower starting game? Feel it out kind of game in the first quarter or so. Um, we'll, we'll find out. That's a good one. To, we're going to break that one apart, just like we were doing leading into Monday night when they were going to meet the first time. That was a game that we all got hyped up about. And of course, all these games deserve that attention. And finally, Cowboys, Niners, San Fran laying four. I'm curious. Had Dallas not looked as good as it did tonight, is that four or is it five or six? I don't know. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I think it maybe should have been five or six. And I was really hoping watching this game tonight, maybe maybe we'd get a minus two and a half in there. And boy, let me tell you, that would have been 
the run to the booth hot read. Like we would have hit record so I can get this thing on the hot read as fast as I could at a two and a half. At four, I don't know. I, I still feel pretty good about it. Obviously, it's brand new, so I need a little more time to look into this one. A couple of things here to note. Turnovers, of course, turnovers are always key, but both these teams in particular, we know about all the Dak Prescott interceptions when things don't go well for them. 49ers, in their four losses, they've turned it over 11 times and only forced three. In their 14 wins, they have 29 turnovers to only six on their own. So I think that's going to be the key. Dak can't turn it over here. It's going to go south quickly. And then San Fran's pass protection is very good. But we know Micah Parsons. We know that's the thing. Dallas is going to get home. If they get there, this finally is that test. You mentioned with Brock Purdy. Here's who they've played so far. Miami, 26 uh, on defense, passing defense. Tampa, 21st. Seattle, 17th. Washington, 16. Vegas, 31. Arizona, 23. Wow. And Seattle this week. I don't have the number there, but it's an average bottom 10 passing DVOA defense. The Cowboys and then the Eagles are both top five. So that's the big difference here. You've been laying it up, San Fran. You've been laying it up, Brock Purdy. But that's the test. If if you think Dallas covers and maybe can win, it has to be because Purdy gets exposed a little bit here and that defense shows up. I, I don't I don't feel that myself, but we'll see. It's a weird rest spot. Dallas gets two days less of rest, which has never happened in playoff history, according to our system so that's kind of a strange spot here again the trends kind of lean toward dallas but least so of any of these teams that we've talked about so for me i think this is a spot where dallas feels overrated after just kicking a, a lifeless bucks team to the curb and i think we're getting a cheap price on the niners so i'm probably gonna look to grab it early but uh man the trends say to beware our overconfidence in these home teams Excellent. All right, folks, that's your abbreviated hot read. More coverage throughout the week. We'll have best bets on Thursday, of course, and all of our daily shows, the podcast with Raybon and Stucky, the Action Network podcast, they'll do their betting preview for the divisional round. For Brandon Anderson, uh, David Payne, our producer, we'll have Joe Gallant back hopefully next week. Jill had a busy week uh, breaking down and, and getting winning tickets as it pertains to touchdown scores so very good that'll do it for the action network podcast presented by FanDuel, folks we'll have the uh the recap episode again next week we'll do it sunday night with no monday night game and we will also have the best bets episode coming later this week we'll talk to you all again real soon thanks for listening to the action network podcast Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.